Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going down? Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here on ITRWrestling.com, wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Finley Martin. Finn, it is sunny in Glasgow on a Tuesday, which is not something I say very often. How are you today? How's the weather down your neck of the woods? Yeah, yeah, ditto. Yeah, very nice here in Lancaster, in the, uh, the great north of England. Beautiful north, that's what I call it. Beautiful north. But yeah, it's, uh, it's very pleasant. I'm not sure if, if summer has arrived yet. Maybe, sure. I mean, it, it felt a bit cold over the weekend. It's like, what's going on? It's June. You know, where's this, you know, where's summer? Hadn't arrived. So, um, but anyway, you're you're going to where the sun is, aren't you, next week, Kenny? You're going on a holiday. Yeah, I'm going to go to Grand Canaria next week. So uh, that should be fun. So Now, but for you people who are listening, you're not actually going to have any real affected schedule of us because we're going to pre-record on what's going down, pre-record a Power Slam podcast, and pre-record an overrun. So you you won't you wouldn't know I was away um, if I hadn't just told you. So yeah, I'm I'm looking. I've not been in a sunny holiday in about nine years, I think. So I'm looking forward to. I don't really do well with just lying by a pool all day. It doesn't excite me. So. I need to try, and then because it's funny, I was talking to, to you know Dan about this, and because he, he had went on holiday, 
and he said he was bored within two days because he'd went to this like resort and it was kind of just you know the family holiday that you would go on um, and then he was telling me he was saying that when you're away don't do any work whatsoever um, which is fine but you know when you run a few businesses you've got stuff going on it would almost stress me out more to not just check in on things now and then obviously way less but um, I'm going to try and find some stuff to do during the day like maybe some excursions I can go on or something because um, I think if I get to day three and I'm just sitting by the pool all day I'll lose my mind well, we both know, Kenny, you've got a fairly short attention span. So I think, you know, sitting by the pool, you'd probably be bored within 45 seconds, a minute. That's <laughs> how long, is it? Yeah. Well, because I've never been one of these people who can just sleep um, at the pool. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it'll be, I mean, yeah, but it'll be fine. I'm, go- I'm going to try and embrace it. So, um We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and um, the other thing as well, you go abroad, uh, is is you've got to you've got to get your drinking under control. Otherwise, it starts getting ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, true. you start if you start too early, it's just like the whole week just becomes this massive session, and then you need like a week afterwards when you get back to get over it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's the balance, isn't it? It's between when you go away on a holiday, you're doing loads, you come back and you feel like you need another holiday, but then when you go on a holiday, you don't really do much. Now, the key to this holiday, I think, is going to be to not drink very early. Yeah. That is going to be the key because... You're stopping in a villa, aren't you? Well, we're in an all-inclusive resort. Oh, all-inclusive resort, okay. Um, But, yeah. But it's very different, you know, if the sun's shining, there is, I'm not a beer drinker, right? Beer's not really my thing, but there is something about a cold pint in the sun that is very refreshing. Um, Indeed, there is. So, I agree, yes. But anyway. I am also not a fan of, I don't think I've been on a by-the-pool beach holiday probably since the 1980s. So um, it's not something that um, is on my to-do list either. So I always like to be doing things and, you know, taking in some culture. We love a bit of culture. And speaking of culture, we're about to talk about pro wrestling for the next 45 minutes, 10 hours. So we're not sure if there's going to be much in the way of culture in this podcast. Well, you never know, Finn. That's what we're here to try and do, to try and bring some. Now, before we talk, it's, it's a very weird podcast today because we're going to talk about the big promo from AEW last week. We're going to talk a little bit about SmackDown, which... Who I mean, it felt like SmackDown were just giving the night off at the pay-per-view at Hell in a Cell. We'll talk about Hell in a Cell, then we'll talk a little bit about the fallout from Ross. We'll yeah. touch on all the, the big points, but... I mean, Pat McAfee didn't even bother showing up for the pay-per-view, did they? Uh, sorry, premium live event. And they just said to him, Pat, you know, we've only got... I think there was only one SmackDown match on the entire show, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. it was. So it's like, Pat, we don't need you. You know, just stay at home. Do your own thing. <laughs> Take the yeah, night off. I feel like if you made the trip and you flew in for one match, you'd be raging. You'd be like, mm. what's the point? Like, there's no... Anyway, um, everybody was talking last week, Finn, about the MJF promo that he did on Dynamite, where he uh, obviously uh, kind of did a, his version of a pipe bomb, as how people have tried to put it. Very intense. Um, he quit the... He, he was th- uh, asking Tony Khan to fire him. He, he ended up saying the F word. Um, got a lot of people talking. What do you think of the promo? What do you think of the direction of travel? 
Uh, now, given all the stuff we talked about last week, um, coming out of Double or Nothing. Um, well, it attracted a lot of attention. As you said, everyone was talking about it afterwards. I mean, it was it lit up Twitter. I mean, that's the goal of, of all pro wrestling in 2022, isn't it? Apparently. Um, I mean, it was a you know, ferocious speech. I mean, the delivery was, the, the whole way it was put together was totally plausible. I mean, listening to it, one could believe everything that MJF said. I mean, spoke with sincerity, conviction. I mean, he got angry, he was enraged, he was livid at the right moments. It was just this slow building sort of anger, you know, before he then swore at the end, called the Booker a Mark, and then stormed off. Um, I mean, I agreed with much of what he said. And, you know, the crowd, I'm sure you noticed this, Kenny, everyone did. How could you not notice this? Mm. The crowd agreed. They cheered. They obviously agreed with parts of it. They cheered him, didn't they, when he said that? They did. Yeah, then, then they said that, um, you know, I still get no respect, you know, and he's, what else did he say? He said, you know, nobody's on my level, you know, no one, everything I touch turns to gold, there is nothing I can't do. He um, did have a great line about, um, he said, you know, are you going to not pay me so you can hoard all your money to bring in more ex-WWE guys? That was it, yeah. He said, I'm the only guy who is capable of carrying this company on my back, as I have for months. Um, at that point, he acknowledged the clapping in the crowd and the, uh, the booze. Um, he said the boys in the back wanted his spot. Uh, he said they can have it because I don't want to be here anymore. Then he uh, turned on the fans and called them uneducated marks. Um you know, MGF said that, you know, he didn't drop people on their heads and chase star ratings and watch New Japan Pro Wrestling and all these other things. You know, he was then knocking a lot of people in the locker room and saying a lot of things that, you know, echoed comments I've made and many other people have made on, on podcasts and, and in writing as well. He said, I'm a generational talent and you people consistently take me for granted. At that point, then he mentioned that the guy in the back was hoarding all the money for all the ex-WWE guys that couldn't lace his goddamn boots and fans cheered him loudly for that. Um, MGF then said, hey, boss, would you treat me better if I were an ex-WWE guy? Um, he also said, um, here's the problem with you, boss. You got a position of power in a wrestling company when the only position you should be assuming is behind the guardrail with all of them, meaning the fans. And he said, I want you to fire me. And then on the ITV version of it, they beeped out the next bit, uh, but to use the F word. And uh, yeah, it was uh, quite derogatory towards Tony Khan, shall we say. <laughs> um, now, it was pre-planned, of course. Now, had the content of speech not been greenlit, greenlit, they would have cut his mic long before they did. Now, I mean, I understand what they were seeking to achieve to, to an extent by giving him the floor to say these things so people would think it was real. I mean, to me at that point, they probably should have cut the mic earlier if they wanted to really get it over as a, 
as a genuine, you know, off the cuff, this guy's gone in for to business for himself. You know, what's he doing? I think they should have had agents at ringside and people out and loads of commotion. I think if MGF had maybe stormed up the ramp after his mic had been cut and then like uh, spoke through Tony Schiavone's headset, um, just took his took the headset off Tony Schiavone and then just spoke to the viewing audience. I think that would have been a nice touch. I think it also would have been great as well if said he'd send the young books out because he took a shot at the um, you know the at the at the, you know, the guys and people lo- and people who do all the bullshit spots he called them. exactly. I mean the young books being you know the the EVPs and having the backstage positions, they would be the ideal, would have been the ideal people to come out and confront Max about this because they were the guy, they're the guys who've obviously got the, the style that he was knocking. They're the guys who've got the backstage roles. And I think had they broken character totally and come out, I think that would have really added to the drama of it and maybe convinced more people that what they were seeing was real. Maybe it didn't need it. I don't know. But I think that would have been a really nice touch. And it could have set something up between MGF and the young books in future. Um, so, I mean, I think that was, that probably would have been better. And that would have then, as I say, that would have been like, right, okay, so MGF's walked off through the crowd after they cut his mic. You know, he's going to come back and he's going to have a match with the young books. And I think that could have been really good, actually. Um, but I mean, that didn't happen. So we had no intervention from any other wrestler. I believe CM Punk walked out, but then MGF just left and they've had the feud. So, that's not going to restart yet. It may do later in the year, but I can't imagine it is like anytime soon because why would they revisit that and decide CM Punk's injured? He's got a broken foot. So we're not going to see him for a while. Um, the things about it that I didn't like were that MGF came out and he said that he was in a lot of pain from what happened on Sunday. The 10 power bombs from Wardlaw, the squash match. So he said he was in a lot of pain. So he's there you know, continuing the storyline of what happened in a match, a double or nothing, and then he's apparently shooting on the company. So if he was shooting on the company, he wouldn't be maintaining the storyline of what happened in the match the previous Sunday. Also, that was muddled because even though he said he was in a lot of pain, he didn't show it through any of his movements or actions. He should have been selling those 10 power bombs and that stretcher job from Wardlow even though it was ludicrous with him being rushed out there on the stretcher and the people putting the, you know, oxygen on his eyes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and also, I mean, Wardlow's win was massively overshadowed by this speech. I mean, you know, Wardlow's broken free from MGF. He signed the AW contract. He scored the biggest win of his career. It's a devastating loss for MJF. And in the course of this one promo, it's as if that match never occurred. Uh, but I think, you know, the main thing that, that really stuck with me when this ended and the thing that just caused me to ask question after question is what was the point of all this other than to attract attention on Twitter? MGF buried the company, essentially, or at least aspects of it, um, the aspects of the product, buried a lot of the talent, buried the company's spending habits, and the man who runs the whole damn show, the blessed absolute boy himself, Tony Khan. So I don't really see what this whole this what this achieves. I mean, you know, it's a hell of a segment. Yeah. I mean, what's what's the end? What's the end game here? What's the goal of all this? 
And to me, there were so many contradictory elements to what happened that my head's still spinning, to be honest with you, Kenny. What do you think? What did you make of it all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it was an all-time classic promo. I was I talked to Sandra about it, and I, I was kind of, you know, um, nervous to say it. And I was like, I didn't love it as much as everybody else. I really did like it. I really thought it, it, it is a classic promo. It was one that people talk about for years. But I'm the same as you. I have fear for Wardlow, given coming out of it, he... Now, he, he did have a good spot on Dynamite. I thought the, the stuff they did with him was really good. You know, the thing with Mark Sterling saying, all oh, the security are going to sue him, and him, you know, beating the crap at the security guy. They're, they are keeping it going, but to me, it's like, as long as Wardlow is taken care of next and he's in something good, that's fine. But with the MJF stuff, the, the, the danger I think they've got themselves in is that the difference between AEW and WWE is the people that like AEW and that watch it have always seemed to enjoy the show, enjoy the variety show that it is, right? Whereas with WWE, there is a, a fair portion of the audience who are in this like abusive relationship with WWE where, you know, they followed it for so long and there's a lot of stuff they don't like about it, but they're still hanging on for the, the scraps they still feel they get enough from, if that makes any sense. And I feel like the thing with this is you're kind of doing the WWE thing of like appealing to the small amount of people who are the, the portion of your audience who are saying some of the things are bad and I just think when you magnify it like that it could backfire on you because what if now MJF becomes this massive baby face yeah. and people don't like the Young Bucks style not they don't like them you know boo them as heels but what if they then go wait a minute i don't want to see adam cole and the young bucks wrestle for 40 minutes i want to see mjf doing that great 15 20 minute match and if that's the way that it goes i mean great because that's that's more more up my alley but i think it's a danger that you've got a lot of people who so far in AEW seem to drink the kool-aid of a lot of the stuff that happens on the show and i think by pointing it that some of it is actually bs is a dangerous thing to do well, plus he, he's knocking, he knocked all the ex-WWE guys who, who have the majority of the top positions in the company right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean we saw Chris Jericho tweet about it. He basically kind of, in a veiled way, had a go at MJF about it. But, you know, I mean, that could all be character. Who knows? Um, so, the uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's... I think time will tell how they do with it. I do think it's been clever how they've not had MJF. Like they've not, in all the photos they released for last week's Dynamite, he was not in them. The segment's not on their YouTube channel. You know, they're, they're trying to play it as this went off script. Yeah. If you're going to do that, then go, then do it. So I think that'll be interesting to see how they do it. But I'm my, my bigger concern is about Wardlow at the moment because I want, I want him, I think he's got a lot of potential uh, to be a big star, and I just hope they, they they make him one. So yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be all right. I mean, you know, my fear is what was the goal? What was the purpose of this, other than to create a load of noise and perhaps to persuade people to tune in next week? I mean, I know the viewing figures were under a million again, um, but like you would think that MGF will not be on Dynamite tomorrow night. I can't imagine that he will be there. And he's been removed from like the website. His merchandise has been pulled, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they're going all the way to try and make this seem legit, like he's no longer part of the company. But again, you know, how does that make you money? And who's he going to battle when he returns? Is he going to go? Is he going to have like a 
a one-on-one? Is it going to be like CM Punk and Vince McMahon in your their famous famous contract? Oh no, famous contract negotiation segment prior to Money in the Bank. Are we going to get? Are we going to get a repeat of that? And if you look at AEW, so much of it is a tribute to wrestling of the past. So much of it is. And this is like straight out of the Brian Pillman 1996 book. Straight out of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Pillman, the whole thing was a very strange thing that he played. I'm not going to go into all the details here. I'm sure people either know or they can look it up. It was full stories in progressing through the past some years. I'm sure people can read it elsewhere as well. But it's like he was, his whole purpose of his work that he was pulling on the wrestling industry was to get a, a larger contract and to make himself the subject of a bidding war between WCW and WWF, which did eventually happen. You know, and he ended up signing with WWF and made more money. Now you can say, well, maybe this is MGF's way of getting more money from Tony Khan. What, what, by burying him live on the air and calling him a mark? I'm just completely mystified by the whole way that this was presented. I mean, this belittled, this disparaged Tony Khan on so many levels. I think we can, like, agree, we, we can agree on one thing, Finn. What this storyline does not need to give us is Tony Khan as an on-screen character. Precisely, but it almost... I can't believe that that is what's, what, what the goal of this is, and that is going to be the outcome of this, that Tony Khan is going to become like a heel on-screen authority figure. But, like, where else does it go with a satisfactory resolution? We will keep an eye on it. And, listen, we will talk about the CM Punk title situation on the Power Slam podcast on Thursday. So um, look out for that. So, Finn, before we talk about Hell in a Cell, I just want to ask you about two quick things about SmackDown because we only have so much time to obviously get through everything. The two big uh, parts of the show were the, the main event where the Usos did defend the tag titles against Riddle and Nakamura. And wouldn't you know it, the Usos were able to retain. Shocker. Um, but the other big story on the show was that Natalia won a six-pack challenge against Raquel Rodriguez, Shayna Baszler, Aaliyah, Shotzi, and Zia Lee. So Natalia will be going to face Ronda Rousey. Ronda confronted her. We assume that the, the title match is going to be at Money in the Bank. Now, what do you think of Natalia as the challenger? Well, wasn't she supposed to headline WrestleMania a few years ago with Ronda? According to her and nobody else. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if WrestleMania 35 had been Ronda Rousey and Natalia? Well, you know, she's what is she, is she the is she the boat or the goat? I can't remember which which does she describe herself. I think as. she's the the goat. <laughs> but, I mean, she, I mean, I've got to say, she did really well in NXT. In late, uh, you know, she had that little run there. She only had, I think, it was maybe three or four matches. And I thought she was she was really good there. I thought she was very helpful in NXT in late April and early May. Um, I mean, this just gives Ronda another win. Um, <laughs> I mean, the match was okay, the six-pack challenge. I think I would have liked to have seen Zia Lee win it. I mean, this was her first match that really mattered after so long on the shelf and just being ignored and she had a few sequences there where she looked okay I mean maybe they would be concerned about Zaylee putting a match together with Ronda Rousey and they kind of think well Natalia's a safe pair of hands you know Ronda has admitted that she needs people to tell her what to do in her matches 
So perhaps it would have been more of a risk by putting someone younger in there and less experienced than Natalia. So, I mean, I'm not ecstatic about it by any means, but I mean, I think it's preferable to uh, Ronda Rousey versus Shotzi, who's just, I'm not quite sure what's happened to her, but her wrestling ability has just disappeared. It's just vanished. She she was pretty good in NXT. And yeah. in, uh, on main roster WWE, she's been a total flop. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just another match. That's all it is, isn't it? Just another match. And no one for a moment anywhere on planet Earth thinks that Natalia is going <laughs> to dethrone, Ron, dethrone Ronda Rousey. So, you know, it's just another match. Just another win for Ronda. I just will say about the Riddle and Shinsuke Nakamura versus Jimmy and Jay match. Mm-hmm. And Nakamura, uh, she, he was removed from the match due to a storyline leg injury. And I thought Riddle was really over. He did really well in the two-on-one battle. And, um, you know, fans were really behind Riddle's quest to win the title. We should mention that champ- the belts were on the line in this match. And in the end, Riddle was uh, pinned after he was distracted. He was in control of the match and he was distracted by Roman Reigns' music. uh, And then he was pinned. And we later learned that the music had been played by Sami Zayn. And Zayn came out and then Zayn and Riddle had like a a scrap in the aisle. So that's going to lead to Sami Zayn versus Riddle. So I'm quite interested in watching that. Uh, well, listen, let's dive into Hell in a Cell. We will, we'll talk about the Cody injury when we get to the main event, but we opened the show with, uh, and it's in Chicago, we opened the show with Bianca Belair defending the Raw Women's title against Asuka and Becky Lynch. Do you know one thing that occurred to me with this match, before we talk about the match itself, these three women, in the way that they dressed and the way they presented themselves, felt like megastars when they came out here. You know, Becky Lynch is dressed like she's about to walk fashion week. Asuka is just in her own planet and we're lucky to live in it. And Bianca Belair's got this cool factor. You know, it's just, when you look at, and in, and in the match itself, you know, when you look at a lot of women's wrestling today in WWE and AEW, it's not a patch on these three and what they can do. You know, this was exciting. There was, you know, you felt like the, the crowd were invested in it and invested in all the players. Um, and then with the, the finish, the way they have Becky Lynch kind of do the manhandle slam and then... Bianca get out of the way and get the pen and ask her instead, you've got a good story going forward. So I, I couldn't really say enough good things about the opener and the, the women involved. What did you think? Yeah, fans were, were really up for it. You know, it was, the match had the big match pauses and lots of crowd interaction. Um, I also really like the, the camera work here. I think WWE's camera work is so good. It's so sympathetic, so sympathetic to the talent. They know exactly where to have the cameras and when, and it just enhances the matches so much. And also it helps to conceal some of the rougher moments of the matches. Um, I think Belair did have a few moments here of hesitancy. You could see she was standing there waiting for, <laughs> waiting for someone to tell her what to do next. And there was quite a not- noticeable botch just before the end. I'm not quite sure what Belair was supposed to do, but something went wrong there. Um, And happily, because she was in there with Asuka and Becky Lynch, who were two of the best in the business, they were able to sort it out. And it wasn't it wasn't really that glaring, you know, not like watching, you know, a lot of the AEW women's matches, which are just many, which are just total shambles because you don't have that talent level in there. 
from you know with one person telling instructing the other person on what to do and just concealing the shortcomings of the opponent and I think you know Lynch here and Asuka did so well with Belair and they were really looked after in there and made sure that this match worked I'm not saying it was perfect but it, it was a big success and I did like the ending as well um you know Lynch hit the manhandle slam on Asuka uh, but then Belair returned to the ring flung Lynch out of the ring and then she pinned Asuka to retain the title so I think Asuka was protected on the finish um and I think Lynch also was protected here. I didn't think for a moment that she was going to do another job to Bianca. But I think Asuka didn't, she wasn't harmed in any way by this outcome. And that was the beauty, as I said, when we were talking about this match last week or the week before, that is the beauty of the triple threat, is that the designated jobber can be protected on the finish. And Asuka absolutely was here. Um, then we had a couple of kind of mid-card matches. There's not really a lot for us to say, but I want to just get your kind of summary thoughts on. We've got Bobby Lashley taking on Omas and MVP in a handicap match. We actually got a, an MVP rap before this uh, in a video segment. Um, Bobby Lashley ends up getting the win uh, over the duo and then afterwards grabs a replica title from a fan, um, sort of sending a message that he wants to be champion again. Um I mean, Lashley and Roman, is that the direction, do you think? Is that the direction you'd like to see? And what do you make of him hopefully putting a, a bookend on the Omas feud? Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, as we as we saw in Raw, Lashley's now going to be doing something with Theory for I'm not sure how long, potentially to Money in the Bank, potentially until SummerSlam. I don't think Roman Reigns is going to be at Money in the Bank. I imagine he will be at SummerSlam. Not sure if it's going to be Lashley. It feels like it's going to be Riddle. I think it's going to be Riddle versus Roman at SummerSlam. I mean, that appears to me to be what they're setting up anyway. Uh, but yeah, Lashley, um, he forced MVP to tap out to the Hurt Lock. It was a handicap match. Um, again, this was really good booking. They were able to protect Omas. He didn't have to do the job. What struck me about the match was it was fairly simple, fairly straightforward. Um, nothing really went that wrong. Um, and a lot went really well for Lashley, I felt, particularly the crowd response to him. And did he milk that response afterwards? He was so over with that crowd as a babyface. Yeah. Fans were just cheering him for so long. And as you said, he went and took a replica belt from someone in the front row. That must have been a thrill for that fan, for yeah. Lashley to take the belt, hold it up. And then I think he kissed it before he gave it back to him, didn't he? I think he did it. <laughs> Yeah, it did. Yeah. So, I mean, that must have been a hell of a thrill for the fans. So, uh, and Lashley, yeah, communicating the message to us all that he wants to be champ again. I think they will have a title match at some point, not sure when. Um, but yeah, and, and again, this is, as we predicted, this has brought the Lashley versus Omas and MVP feud to a halt, to an end, to a conclusion, and not before time. Um, well, then we had Kevin Owens against Ezekiel or Elias, if you, have, if you believe Kevin Owens. Um, I did like when he was, uh, you know, send Elias out here, um, Kevin Owens was saying. So they had a kind of nine and a half minute match. Kevin Owens, God bless him. I mean, the comedy of this kind of helped because Ezekiel is, is just a very bland wrestler. Like, he's just not really got anything about him. So Owens had to kind of carry this, but... I mean, I thought they did as well a good a job as they could. The crowd tonight were a real MVP on this show. They really were into everything. 
um, more so than some of the raw crowds have been at certain points in some of these feuds. But uh, Kevin Owens gets the win, and um, you would have thought that was kind of the end of the story, but we did continue it on Raw. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it was. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was okay. I mean, you know, Kevin Owens did the best he could. Ezekiel is in great shape. But as you said, I mean, he's, he's, he's a really bland wrestler. I mean, that's why Elias had the guitar gimmick and the walk with Elias and the chant long phrases, because he knew he wasn't very exciting in the ring. I mean, if you remember when he was in NXT, he was one of the few NXT wrestlers that the NXT crowd didn't like. They used to chant chant drift away at him. They just like, they just couldn't stand him because he knew he was really fairly average in the ring. And I think he has improved, but he's not exciting. He doesn't do anything that's liable to interest anyone. He's just another WWE guy with that rather frustratingly bland WWE style and he's never really he's got a few decent moves I think he does most of his I think his in-ring act is solid but I mean it needs to be you're in WWE if you're any worse than solid you shouldn't even be a wrestler in this company but I mean yeah I wrote wrote this in what else is going down uh, last month I think it was or the month before is that with Elias they emphasize the things he did well in his character, playing the guitar, you know, working with the audience. And he seldom wrestled, like very seldom wrestled. Um, his strengths were his character and his guitar playing and all that other stuff that was connected to the Elias character. Now he's not Elias, he's Ezekiel, and he's a wrestler. He has to do the thing that he doesn't do very well. So the whole character, it just makes no sense to me at all. It's like the reverse of the old you know, ECW mission statement, which was, you know, accent, accentuate the strengths and conceal the weaknesses. There's a reason the Sandman had the gimmick that he did. Exactly. In this case, they've accentuated his weaknesses and concealed his strengths. (laughs) So, I mean, I was really pleased to see Owens win and win clean. And my heart sank a little on Raw the next night when we found out that Owens versus Ezekiel they will have a rematch next week on Raw. I'm not interested. I don't care. I want to see Kevin Owens doing something else. He's better than this. This was the guy who is in one of the main events of WrestleMania this year. He deserves better. Um, We then had Judgment Day, Edge, Rhea Ripley, and Damian Priest taking on AJ Styles, Liv Morgan, and Finn Balor. Um, Again, I actually thought that Ripley and uh, Morgan here were kind of the stars of the match. Like They, to me, were the most interesting um and uh you know it's funny because after watching hell in a cell i i was just kind of like oh you know i was hoping that balor was going to turn or something was going to happen because judgment day just isn't thrilling me which would go on to play a part in what happened on raw but how did you feel about the match uh, at the pay-per-view at the spe- at the premium live event god's sake premium live event yeah well as you said the audience was <laughs> you know they were tremendous on this show they were into almost everything um, and for the first time, they made the Judgment Day faction seem like it mattered. And this match, I think, was good. I, I like the pacing on it. There was lots of different elements to it. I think AJ Styles and Edge were pretty much toned down, which was, I think, the right decision because we've already seen them wrestle each other more times than we ever want to in our natural lives. And happily, after what happened on Raw, it doesn't look like we're going to see any more Edge versus AJ Styles matches. And yeah, I like the emphasis on Liv Morgan, who I think will win Money in the Bank 
uh, she'll win the briefcase. And Rhea Ripley, as we know, is going to face Bianca Belair at Money in the Bank. So I think I thought that was a really good call. Um, Finn Balor uh, had Edge beat, uh, but Rhea Ripley uh, prevented Balor doing the diving double foot stomp onto Edge. And then Edge launched the spear and he pinned Balor. So, you know, it was a win for the Judgment Day. Balor did the job. I read quite a few comments online, quite a few unsympathetic comments, quite a few snide comments about Balor. Well, that's back to catering for Finn again. Oh, these people have little faith, Kenny. So, um, you know, yeah, I I enjoyed the match. And um, I think it set up what happened on Raw very well. And I think it also set up Rhea Ripley for the match with Bianca and Liv Morgan as the presumed winner of the Money in the Bank briefcase. So, yeah, yeah, mission accomplished. Uh, yeah, big success. Poor Michael Cole flew all the way to this show just to call Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss in a no-holds-barred match with uh, Corey Graves. Um, you were, I, I know you were hoping, Finn, going into this, that Mad Cat Moss was going to shed the silly persona and he was going to do do something to win us over. He did get the win here in the end or, uh, by beating Corbin, but um, how did you feel about uh, Madcap Moss coming out of it? Are you, are you excited by him or are you still a bit underwhelmed? Well, he, he came out with the new image on SmackDown, didn't he? He returned yeah. there and he beat Corbin down and Corbin had to be rescued by the officials and referees. So... We got the new madcap there without the jokes and without the braces. He's now wearing black shorts. I think he still needs to do something with that hair. He looks like Patrick Swayze circa 1990. You know, it's just, you know, 30 years behind the times hairdo. I had my <laughs> hair like that at one point, you know, and I finally changed it in the late 90s. And I should have changed it year be- years before I did. <laughs> so... Um, But I mean, I thought, yeah, it was a no-holds-barred match. I mean, Moss won and won convincingly. He ended up wrapping a chair around Corbin's neck, um, you know, blasting it. And um, Corbin was stretched out afterwards. I mean, I thought it was a productive win for Madcap Moss. I still don't like the name. I think they need to change the name because the name, you know, reminds us of the character he was. Why is he called Madcap? I mean, that's like the name of a children's you know, entertainer, isn't it? Or a character on children's TV. So I think that he needs to change the name. He needs to do something with that haircut because it's not serious enough. I mean, they've gone some of the way towards changing him from what he was to what he needs to be. Some, you know, it was, pro- I do believe it was progress. I do believe it was productive. But I think if Moss is going to become a serious player, there's still work to do on his image and his character. Um, well, then we uh, had, after Mo- Madcap Moss's victory, we had Theory versus Mustafa Ali for the US title. They were kind of put in the, you know, the unfortunate position of being right before the main event. The, this was the one match the crowd probably weren't as loud for as they had been at other points. And um, you know, the fact that they weren't that loud for Mustafa Ali and he's from there probably tells you how, how over this storyline is. But Theory ends up getting the win in the end. Um, it was fine. I guess. Yeah, it was. I mean, it just goes back to to what we've said and, you know, what I've written in the magazine. I mean, there's been no explanation of why Ali left or why he came back. It's like we're all supposed to just know. And we, 
and you know, and he hasn't really received any creative attention at all, Mustafa Ali. You know, he's he's eager to perform. He's a real talent. You know, he looks great. I mean, he didn't. He had a good match with Theory, but you're right. There wasn't much of a response to it. It didn't feel like Ali was going to win. He just seemed like he was another sacrificial lamb for Theory. Um, and to me, that was, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of the Theory project. I think he's really good. I think he's a star. I think he's going to be a bigger star in future. I like the fact that they've now pitted him against Lashley. But I mean, Ali did not need to do the job here on this event in his hometown. Um, he wasn't on Raw the next night, Ali. They've still not explained anything about why he left, why he came back, what his motivation is, you know, why he was so miffed, what, you know, what his motivational reasons were for returning. And again, there's just so much more they could do with this person to make him feel like a star and to make us care about him, to make us invest in him, to make us root for him. And it just feels like they've let the guy down. So, you know, I'm a, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm annoyed because it's WWE and I understand the way it works there. And there's only certain people get the attention and they get the time and they get the the creative investment and certain people don't. And Ali is unfortunately someone who hasn't, you know, received the nod, but I wish, I wish they'd give him something, you know, I wish they'd give him a chance to show us who he can be. He kind of reminds me of Ricochet, another real talent who's never really, you know, he's presumably going to be losing the intercontinental title to Gunter on Friday, which is no bad thing, but it's a shame that, that I'm saying that because I think Ricochet is an amazing talent, but again, he's somebody who's not really, you know, exploded as a character in WWE. He's never really been given the chance to show us what he can do as a character. He's been just kept in a box, basically. He's been this guy who's pretty bland and Ali's the same, isn't he really? Just somebody who you just know there's so much more for him to reveal and we haven't seen it yet. The shame, the shame a little bit more with Ali is that he can talk and he actually has shown some kind of moments where it's like if you gave this guy something, he can maybe do something with it. But look, you know, he walked out and there was always going to be, unless you're a big name, I mean, even the big names, they don't, they do hold it against you. So, you know, Ali's back. They kind of have given him this half pregnant thing where they're kind of pushing him, but they're not really. I'm sure he's just kind of, you know, he needs to come back. He needs to work. He needs to see out his contract and then, yeah. you know, make up his mind. Yeah, I mean, maybe now they think, well, you know, he's, he's paid his penance. You know, let's give him something. You know, he's come yeah. back. He's put this guy over theories. He's, he's made theory look, he's made theory look like the person we want him to look like. He's invested. He's, you know, he's, he's shared, you know, his reputation or what, what's left of it with theory. You know, he's invested in theory and made theory into more of a player. Let's give Ali something in return. Um, well, listen, we found out the day of Hell in a Cell that Cody Rhodes had torn his pec. Um, some people were questioning if he was going to be wrestling at Hell in a Cell. And then there was a statement put out before that he would be wrestling at Hell in a Cell in this main event against Seth Rollins. He comes out. Massive ovation for Cody. You see his pec, it looked purple. You know, most of, a lot of his chest was purple from it. Um, and but he, as, as was his bicep and, and, the, and his inner arm as well. It yeah. spread all the way to his arm, hadn't it? Yeah, it was really grim. And then Seth Rollins comes out dressed as Dusty Rhodes, which was really funny. 
kind of gives you a, uh, you know, a, a reprieve from the kind of shock of of, of Cody Rhodes, uh, you know, pick. And then they go on to have this kind of 24-minute Hell in a Cell match. And, you know, the fact that they were able to do this, Cody was able to have that match with the injury. They were able to work around, you know, not being able to do certain things. The crowd ate it up. Um, and, you know, the sledgehammers involved. And, uh, you know, in the end, uh, that's what it kind of is Rollins' downfall. Um, and, you know, when Cody won, it was like, this guy is a superstar. Like, he is he is a main event player in this company at the moment. And, you know, I think this match is, well, you, I think you can argue that, you know, should he have wrestled, should he have not? That, I don't know enough about exactly. Was he cleared? If he was cleared, then, you know, because one of the stories out there is that he was told, you've done the damage, so you can do one match. You're not going to do make it any worse. Um, but I think him doing this match is going to give him a lot of... Uh, a lot of clout with the audience. I think the audience are going to respect this. And and more importantly, Vince is going to love him for it. Who do you think of the the injury, the letting him wrestle and the match itself? Yeah, I mean, my way of looking at it with the injury is that is that it's not like wrestling with a concussion where you could be disoriented and like fall over or fall off the top rope or hurt yourself or your opponent or land in the crowd or whatever. It's not like going in there with a serious neck injury where you're dicing with paralysis or another type of injury where if it gets worse, it could lead to permanent damage from which there is, there will be no recovery. You know, it's going to permanently injure you for the rest of your life. So I feel that, yeah, he was told you've got a choice here. You don't have to do this. You could bow out of this match. No one would think less of you if you did. Um, but if you do the match, you've got a built-in storyline. He told us earlier in the show that he'd suffered this injury. It was obviously genuine, looking at the discoloration to uh, Rhodes' uh, right pectoral uh, muscle and also his arms. So we could see it was genuine. Um, and they worked it into the story of the match. As you said, there were certain things they couldn't do. And when they did certain moves, I don't think Rhodes was selling anything. He was there in agonizing pain. Maybe he was pain in a little bit of pain. I don't know. But I imagine he was in a lot of pain doing some of those moves for real. So, I mean, it's in, the, in a sense, it's like that's why guys or, or women as well blade, isn't it? Because we think that, that, oh, look at the blood, oh, the injury on your cell, the blood loss, and you're exhausted. And it's all about whipping up emotion. So you're, you're there working a genuine injury into the story of the match. And it's a can't miss. And this main event, I think, went down very well with the audience. It was a slow builder. I don't think they took any unnecessary risks. Um, I think it was actually a fairly simple match. There's not that many crazy stunts. Um, And I think, in a way, the match was better for it because for a long time, I think talent felt like they had someone had to drop off the, you know, inside of the cage or take a huge bump off the side of the cage. And there was lots of things that people felt like they needed to do in a hell in a cell match. And I think we're beyond that now, which is really good. So they can just go in there and just kind of have like a regular match on it with props and, you know, extra sort of simulated violence. And I think they brought that here. Um, You know, Rollins ended up surviving a pedigree. That was a top-notch near fall. Uh, Rhodes kicked out the stomp. 
Uh, and in the end, Rhodes won after two crossroads and a sledgehammer blow. Um, and spectators really applauded uh, Cody afterwards. I think they were full of admiration for what he went through for their entertainment and also in the storyline for overcoming his nemesis in their third and presumably final match of their feud. Although who knows after the attack on Raw, does this mean that there will be another match between Cody and Seth Rollins very possibly in future, but obviously not for a long time. Um, But yeah, I've just written here. I thought it was, it was a huge triumph, just very well done. Um, I'm not, I, I couldn't, if someone were to say, well, WWE should never have allowed him to wrestle. I'm not really going to argue with you because I do get your point. But I, I don't think Cody would have been pressured into doing this. I think he would have been allowed to make that decision. And um, But of course, he's been around long enough to know how it would have been received. You know, the, the news that he was willing to do the match and for the good of the company you know, for the good of the storyline and for the good of the show. So he was fully aware of how it would be received on high if he were to take one for the team and wrestle with this injury. So you could say in a sense, maybe he felt an obligation or maybe you felt a little bit of pressure to do the match, given the match's position on the card. And I'm sure that was true as well. Um, But if he was in so much pain, that he couldn't have done the match, then he wouldn't have done the match. And he certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have done a match that lasted as long as this one. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, that's Hell in a Cell. It does lead us into a couple of things on Raw because Cody does open the show and he ends up kind of saying that, you know, he, he, he thanks everybody and he gets emotional. He then ends up kind of teasing because he, he, Seth Rollins comes out um, before Seth comes out, he teases the money in the bank briefcase. He's like, you know, I might be there essentially. And you're all thinking, what? How is he going to be there in a month? And then Seth comes out and uh, Seth, they basically end up shaking hands because Seth says, I don't like you, but you know, I respect the gutsiest performance that I've, I've seen in, in wrestling. And they shake hands and then he ends up saying, I know that I know I'm the last person you need to hear this from, but Dusty is very, very proud of you. Um, which, uh, you know... Fact, it almost you know, set Cody off, didn't it, that one? It did, it did. Um, and so the end, you know, Seth leaves and Cody kind of takes his bow and then when Cody gets to the entrance where Seth comes back out with the sledgehammer, attacks Cody, rips his shirt off, is just like battering the pec muscle um, and that's the write-off, that's him being written off TV. I could see this being something where, you know, at the Royal Rumble... Cody and Seth are the final two and Seth gets eliminated as revenge and Cody wins. I could see something like that happening. I think they've done a really good job of writing Cody off and giving Seth some heat so that, you know, Seth can do what he wants to do on Raw. But I thought this was a really good angle to write Cody off. Yeah, yeah, it was really long and they gave them plenty of time. And um, I've got to say, they fooled me when Seth came out and, um, you know, I don't like you, Cody, but I respect you. And then... You know, your father's proud of you and Cody, you know, they nearly went at that point. And then Rollins walked out and I thought, wow, is that it? You know, is that? And I thought that was it. And um, I should have known, though, with Cody making reference to potentially being in the Money in the Bank match. And he drew our attention to the briefcases that were suspended above the ring. Of course, there was no way that he was going to be in that match. If you remember, 
Cena suffered an injury similar to this in October of 2007, it would have been. And people were astonished when he returned at Royal Rumble. So that was like, what was that, like three and a half months? And yeah, people were amazed that he, that he was able to return in that length of time. So there was simply no chance that Cody was going to undergo surgery and, uh, and be back in like, what was it, 27 days or whatever it is? <laughs> <laughs> Money in the bank, it was just impossible. But of course, then they tacked the angle on with Cody. Uh, Cody walked up the aisle and he was giving saying, saying goodbye to everyone and Seth resurfaced with a sledgehammer beat Cody down, you know, suppose they struck him in the chest with a sledgehammer and there's referees and officials and all the drama and all the chaos and all the movement that they have for these angles and screaming and yelling to make it seem even more, you know, tense and, uh, you know, dramatic than, than it would be if they weren't there. Go, oh, stop it, Seth, what are you doing? Oh, you know, and the, the announcers are going crazy. You know, what Seth Rollins doing? Even Corey Graves is yelling, this is a, this is disgusting, you know, Seth Rollins has, you know, this is beyond the pale, this is, uh, Seth Rollins has stooped, he's gone too far this time, this is terrible behaviour by Seth Rollins, even Corey Graves was condemning him, so I thought it was really well done, and then Cody stood up, you know, and walked to the back, uh, Seth had ripped his shirt off, by the way, so anyone who hadn't watched Hell in a Cell could see that the, the injury, the muscle injury was genuine, so I think that was a smart thing to do it was absolutely the right thing to do there so Cody as you say he was basically written off by this angle I'm not sure how long he's going to be out but it's going to be I would think at least four months maybe five months maybe even longer yeah it'll be at least four um and you know this is a really good way to write him off and yeah. um, just a couple of things from Ross cover Finn are you excited June 27th the big JC's coming back Laredo Texas Oh, yeah, it's um, you know, I don't mind the guy anymore. I mean, I've talked about this. I'll keep it brief. You know, he did such a great thing for Roman Reigns and WWE at SummerSlam last year. I'm not saying all sins forgiven because they never really can be. But I mean, <laughs> the 2021, 2022 version of Cena, he's just dropping in. He's just passing through. You know, he's, he'll draw a larger audience that night. He'll get to plug Peacemaker or whatever he's doing next. And, you know, as long as he's not sticking around too long. Well, you know what, even if he sticks around, you know, and he has that match with Theory. You know, people have been talking about that, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Could that potentially happen? Yeah. If Theory were to defeat Cena, I mean, that would be huge for Theory. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it did... That would be a colossal SummerSlam match for Theory, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. I, I feel like we. I feel like if that match is announced, we're going to see the old Finn back by SummerSlam. I can feel it because I don't. I, I can't see JC putting more, but maybe you never know. <laughs> we'll see. Um, well, yeah, yeah. We. Were, I think Cena's. You know, he, he's 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 left. He's moved on. You know, and it's a good relationship that they've got now that he can just make an occasional appearance. And I think it works for both parties. And if it works for both parties, then that's a good deal for everyone. And you know what? If he's coming back and he's putting people over, it works for F. Martin. <laughs> um, did you ha- did you enjoy... I mean, Becky Lynch, obviously, her thing with Asuka is kind of continuing by uh, Bianca... Uh, so Asuka 
uh, distracting Becky Lynch and Dana Brooke beating Becky Lynch in a 24-7 title match because uh, basically Becky was like, I'm going to take that title from you. Um, do you I mean, some I, some people were quite were upset the fact that Dana Brooke got to defeat Becky Lynch in the way that she did. Um, did it bother you? Were you? Did you find it was fine given the storyline of Asuka is the reason or would you have rather not seen Becky in this position? I mean, I, I don't really have strong feelings either way about that one. Um, I mean, Becky Lynch is, I mean, Seth Rollins has just done three consecutive premium premium live event jobs to Cody Rhodes. And it doesn't matter, he's still a star. And Becky Lynch is a star and she could lose to pretty much anyone in the right, under the right circumstances. And it wouldn't dim her star one iota. So I'm not really that bothered. I mean, it's leading to another match between Lynch and Asuka. Everyone knows that Dana Brooke is no match for Becky Lynch. So I don't think it's going to hammer in the slightest. Well, listen, the last thing I want to ask you about before we go, we should mention that Rhea Ripley won the uh, four-way in the main event to become the contender for Bianca Belair at Money in the Bank, which is a great move because Rhea Ripley and Bianca should be very good. But the big story with Judgment Day was they came out, they pr- promised a fourth member... And the fourth member was Finn Balor. He comes out, Edge is putting him over. They're all happy. And then the Judgment Day turn on Edge. They batter him. Uh, in the end, Priest hits, hits Edge with a concerto. Uh, Balor, before that, was, uh, you know, put a bit of chair in Edge's mouth and was wrenching back on it. So they really went to town on Edge. And uh, thank God they have called the Audible to change this because this faction was not working with Edge as the leader. So I'm very happy they've made this change of direction. Are you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You predicted that Finn Balor would be uh, the latest recruit and uh, he re- he's essentially replaced Edge in Judgment Day. I think the problem with Edge in Judgment Day is that people do not want to boo him at this no. point in his career. I think it's just that simple. And as a heel, he was failing because people recognize that he's a legend and that his career has ended back in, was it 2011, was it? 2011, yeah. Yeah, right after WrestleMania 27. Yeah, 2011. And um, he was able to come back um, in, was it 2020 he came back? It was, wasn't it? 2020. Yes, the Royal Rumble 2020. 2020, yeah. So he was able to come back after nearly nine years on the bench, thought his career was over, and people just don't want to boo him. And he was trying really hard to be villainous. I mean, he was there trying to project menace. He was doing everything he could to persuade people to jeer him. And I think they did to an extent at Hell in a Cell. Um, but I mean, really, people would much rather cheer Edge. So I think this was the right course of action. Gives Finn Balor a new role. It's going to give Finn Balor a huge match with Edge at possibly SummerSlam. I would think that I would think that Edge is going to sell this for many weeks. He won't be back next week. He's going to be out yeah. for a long time. The severity of this attack uh, was was just so serious that he needs to sell this for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's going to be a huge match for Finn Balor at SummerSlam. I would think um, with Edge. So that's really good for Finn. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Balor does as a villain in this faction uh, and also Priest as well. And I think also if Rhea Ripley defeats Bianca Belair, that's going to be really good for the Judgment Day because they'll have a champion in their midst. So, yeah, overall, 
I, I was really pleased by everything that happened in this angle. Well, listen, that is all the time we've got for today. Loads of stuff has happened. There's stuff we've not been able to get to, but that's why you buy Inside the Ropes magazine. You get to hear what Finn thinks about other stuff. You subscribe to Patreon, get what else is going down. We can't be giving it all away here on what's going on. And that's down. why we record another podcast on Thursday. Exactly. So we'll be recording the Power Slam podcast, but there'll be more news, no doubt. We will cover the CM Punk title situation and lots of other stuff. So, Finn, I will, it will, it'll be a long 48 hours, but I look forward to us reuniting. Indeed, yes. Indeed, yes. And I'm going to get on with my Q&A now. Finish my Jeff Jarrett interview. Sent that in on Friday. Came out, I thought it came out pretty good. It did. I was, I was uh, doing the proofreading earlier. It's a, it's a really interesting interview. There's a thing that you do in interviews, Finn, that I have never been able to do, and I very rarely have I seen any other person be able to do where... You get them in a flow, and I don't know how you do it, but it's very impressive. So, um, you know, Je- Jeff's on top form in this one. I think people are going to enjoy it. And, um, and it even has a happy ending. Very rarely in, in wrestling do we have that. But, you know, look, the, F, the F Martin touch, you spoke to Jeff, and a couple of days later, he's hired back by WWE. So. Exactly, exactly. The Ma- <laughs> not the Midas touch, the Martin touch. <laughs> anyway... Uh, thank you very much for all your support, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Patreon's the best place we can get more, more stuff from us, patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes. And subscribe or buy the magazine at insidetheropesmagazine.com. You can pre-order issue 22 <laughs> now with Roman Reigns on the cover, belted of a cover photo of Big Roman. I mean, what a cover photo. It's like he's looking into your eyes. I mean, it's like Roman Reigns is like, I mean, it's all, it should be illegal to be that good looking. <laughs> it really sh- give the rest of us a chance, you know? Good <laughs> God. He's got a hairline you could die for. Anyway, I'm going to go and crumble into some food or something to cheer myself up. But anyway, uh, thank you for all your support, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.